You are listening to LP Uncovered, a music podcast hosted by myself, Lauren Plant. On this episode, I'm joined by the brilliant singer, songwriter and platinum award-winning producer, Garrett Cato. In 2018, he released his debut album, That Low and Lonesome Sound, followed by his second album, Hemispheres, back in 2020. The Canada-born, Australia-based artist has amassed over 106 million worldwide streams and performed sold-out shows alongside Damien Rice and Ziggy Alberts. Garrett has worked with a string of iconic Aussie artists including Julia Stone, Tons and I, Riley Pierce and more. In June this year, he released his third album, The Wonderful Small Town Rituals, which sees Garrett harness an organic approach to the writing process, allowing his emotions to come to the forefront to deliver his most vulnerable piece of work to date. Written and self-produced as a home studio, most of the album was mixed on hardware, giving the songs a more immediate and intimate feel. So let's uncover Garrett Cato's brilliant new album, Small Town Rituals. Well, I'm delighted to have on LP Uncovered this week. Garrett Cato, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I can't wait to get chatting about your brand new album, Small Town Rituals. How's it been? How's yeah, been yeah. Fun, finally putting it out there? Oh, it's so good. It's sort of a relief. And yeah, it's just uh, kind of hard to believe that it's out already. But yeah, definitely a relief, but also... Just excitement too. It's always nerve wracking too. Like week of release, you're always sort of a bit, I don't know, a little bit, I don't know, not scared, but just excited, nervous, you know, all the emotions are happening. So how long have you kind of had all this in the works? Um, yeah. How long have you been kind of like holding on to these songs for? Well, um, one song, The Grand Optimist kind of is like a old song that kind of got a almost like a new lease on life. Like I kind of had it um, like a demo of it from years ago. Like I'm talking like six years ago, maybe, maybe longer. And I just heard the melody and the words and I, and I thought, Oh, this is kind of relevant to me now, you know, cause it was never a song that could sit on a record. And for some reason, this one felt like it was felt like it was meant to be on this one, but all the other songs were written quite quickly, which was interesting. Normally I'm not that, quick but for some reason i guess i just had something to get out of me so it was just over the course of like a couple of months writing and recording and this album was pretty much done so where did you get the title from well it was sort of um like me and my friend riley pierce i don't know if you know who he is yeah yeah, yeah. um so we wrote this song together called drugstore houses and we were singing about sort of how we grew up in different small towns like i grew up outside of Vancouver in Canada in a smaller town called Port Coquitlam. And he lived in a place just outside Perth, like a small town. We were kind of just reminiscing on these things. And I kind of realized that we kind of had similar childhoods, regardless of living halfway across the world. And I thought it was kind of interesting. So that kind of informed a few of the other songs. And I noticed I was writing a lot about sort of more small town type situations. So it felt like the ritual of a small town is is kind of in the record in a way, and a lot of the lyrics is quite a theme. So I've kind of felt like that just felt perfect for me to call it that for some reason. 
Yeah, it's a great title. And obviously it was written and self-produced at your home studio and it has a real mm. intimate feel, this album. How much does having your own space influence or how much did that shape the album itself? Yeah, it's. I think it's just very private. Like this record's super private to me anyways. So maybe that's why I was nervous releasing it too because it didn't really get a lot of... Um, like second opinions and it, it, you know, not, not out of any reason. Like I felt like no one, I didn't want to take anyone's opinion. It just felt like I needed to do this on my own mm -hmm. and just kind of go through this by myself, like making this record. And yeah, it's really, really cool. But I feel like I got really lucky on this record because I've done this for a while where I've kind of self-recorded and produced. And sometimes you can run into some real problems because it's almost like you're stranded in a jungle and you're trying to figure out a way to survive, <laughs> but you know, you need to kind of use the tools and skills that you know, but maybe you don't have enough to get through to the other side, which is like songwriting and producing. So, but I felt like these songs kind of knew the stories they, that they wanted to tell. Like, you know, I didn't have to try and overcompensate with production or anything. Like for me personally, it was kind of a relief in that way. So I don't know if that answered your question, but it's, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a very special thing to be able to do. Like I feel privileged to be able to record and produce my own stuff. Cause it's, I think in some ways it can be super liberating. So. Yeah. And of course you've got your masterclass. I was going to mention that a little bit later, but really, oh, yeah, yeah. really cool. How did that start? Or when did you get the idea for it? Cause it's so great. And obviously like you've got so many different talents. It's great to be able to see that. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, it was just during COVID. It was, I was still doing a lot of work. So it wasn't like I was short on cash or anything, but it just, it was more like I felt like I saw a lot of my friends just kind of getting jobs and feeling like they couldn't do music because they couldn't like record to put out new material to like make an income. And they, they felt like they were stuck, like landlocked. Yeah. So my, in my mind, I wanted to create a, a course that was super affordable for someone like a singer songwriter to be able to just kind of watch a few videos of mine and be able to start producing themselves to a certain degree. Right. And, you know, I had, a, did have a couple friends that just started doing that and it was really cool because like it kind of makes, it's almost like getting your driver's license creatively. Like you can kind of go anywhere you want. You don't have to wait and book studio time or wait for some producer to be available for you to, kind of create finished products you can just get it done so i think in that way i, I kind of want to just to yeah try and give to the music community that i knew particularly and other songwriters out there just so they can have some more options yeah it's amazing and like the home studio definitely this seems to have so much more time i presume with like when you hire studios you must have a time constraint and things like that whereas you kind of get that intimacy or at least as a listener the album obviously feels so intimate and that kind of reflects really well with the album artwork obviously such a beautiful photo um yeah what made you choose this and in particular for this album because i know with your other full-length albums they've not necessarily been shots of yourself yeah that's funny you say that because um yeah it's definitely the most like raw and um sort of unfiltered record so i felt like a portrait suited it for some reason mm -hmm. i don't know why and i'd been listening to a lot of Joni mitchell at the time i like that i think it's the blue record i think it's called oh wow 
and I love that record and I just loved the whole idea of it. And I loved like how she was just sort of on the cover, just, just simple. And a lot of the records I liked in the sixties and stuff, they just had portraits on the cover, like the Beatles and all them. And I thought like, why do I feel so weird about doing this? And I thought, you know, I'm just going to do it. And then now I feel really good about it because it's sort of, you know, it marks a place and time in my life too. I can look back at that photo in that time. and Yeah. Who shot it? Oh, my friend Moz. Um, he does a lot of work for a lot of the artists around here for music videos and photography. So he does a lot of my photography and, and he's a super talented guy. He used to play in a band himself called Bonja and um, right. great singer, actually. He's awesome. And, um, but he's just really talented guy and he makes you feel really comfortable. He's not like real fashion-y. He does a lot of fashion shoots and stuff, but he's not, um, fancy if that makes sense because that can be kind of intimidating i've worked with some photographers that are kind of photographers you know and they make you feel a little uncomfortable in front of the camera because you know i'm not a model i'm a songwriter so (laughs) it feels weird to get in front of a camera in the first place so yeah just definitely completely it's a whole experience i love album artwork and then to have that alongside the songs it just all fits really really nicely and super excited to get into the first song on the album uh the brilliant drugstore houses which like you said you co-wrote with riley pierce over zoom um what was that like as an an experience because obviously you guys know really well you toured with each other yeah I love Riley. Me and him get along. Well, I think we get along really well. (laughs) I love him a lot. And I have a lot of time for Riley. I think he's just one of the most talented songwriters in the world right now, for sure. And I don't know, we just kind of, he just asked me one day, because I think we had a bit of downtime during COVID. And he said, you want to try writing on Zoom? I said, sure. And to be honest with you, we, you know, during that writing session, it was almost like we were just catching up on old times. Mm -hmm. And just sort of talking about things. And and then I guess I was, I knew I wasn't going to be able to go back home for a long time because of the COVID and the pandemic thing. So I wanted to, I just had home on my mind. And I think that's where that can't song kind of came from was I was just thinking about, man, I'd love to go home right now, but I can't. And it was a weird feeling. So it kind of made me want to reminisce a bit. And so we kind of dived into that sort of the world of how a small town is sort of like heaven and hell you know maybe because it's like the most comfortable place but also if you're a young person you just want to get the hell out of there so <laughs> it's so that's kind of the basis of that song where that idea came from and then production wise that one was really easy it just felt like it all made sense the harmonies made sense you know mm. i think riley helped out a lot with the chorus melody so that was really nice to kind of have a fresh melody for me to work with i think that was the I think there's one other song that was co-written on this, but all the other ones were just by me. So it felt like I was almost getting to play with someone else's toys for a bit. You know, it was <laughs> kind of cool. So, And why did you choose to put that one at the beginning of the album first? Um, I felt like it was the most um, kind of summed up the record and set the tone really well for the record. So I felt like it was a nice sort of foot forward, if that makes sense. So it kind of like in my head, I was like, this kind of feels like a mini album, like the mini feeling of the whole album in the Mm -hmm. first song, which I thought was kind of a nice way to start it because it gives people, they understand what they're in, what they bargain for when they listen to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you put a lot of time and energy into um, track order and things like that? Is that something you put a lot of thought into? A little bit. Yeah. Like it, it kind of depends on, like it depends on how the project's born 
if that makes sense. Like if it's a more of a concept record, which is, I wouldn't say this record's a concept record, but I definitely had intention when I was making it that I wanted a certain aesthetic and feeling with most of the songs together. So for me, the track listing, I wanted to make sure that it was, um, that it flowed in a nice way. And I, I feel like it's, I feel like it's pretty close to how I, I couldn't think of it any other way. So for me, it's good. Hopefully it's okay. Yeah, it's brilliant. Everyone. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> uh, and like you said, it really does set the tone for the whole album. There's quite a lot of reflective mm. concepts, I suppose, looking back to your childhood. So it feels really appropriate to have that kind of song first because it's a theme that you bring on a lot throughout the album. The second song on the album, The Wonderful Telephone, I'm right in thinking the lyrics took quite a long, or took their time with this one, so to speak. And and how much do you have to trust your intuition when writing? Yeah, this one was like the weirdest. Actually, this is a weird song. Like, um, I literally wrote it like really late at night. And I woke up the next day. I don't even remember writing it. Hey. Wow. Like it was like it was like the weirdest thing. Like I went, like I was up really late, kind of rambling, and I just kind of have my session open and I and I was just recording sort of ramblings almost like subconscious kind of stuff. And then this story kind of fall started to form, I think, and I started following my nose a bit and it just kind of unveiled itself. I feel like I literally woke up the next day and was like, whose song is this? It was the weirdest experience. Like it was like, and that doesn't happen all the time. And for the lyrics to be, cause they're not exactly super simple. Like the storyline's a bit complicated. So it felt like it was definitely like a gift, not like it was like a hard earned fought song. It was like something, some sort of, greater force was like yep you can have this one for free i'm like thanks <laughs> like sometimes it feels like that with a songwriter you're not like in control of when that sort of moment comes so that was like really cool and yeah i think like weirdly enough that's probably my favorite song of the record as right. far as yeah i don't know why i just really i think it speaks to me maybe because i wrote it with less of um maybe because it wasn't so nitpicked over it feels like it's still fresh to me in a way it's hard to explain but mm. yeah it feels like it speaks to me more yeah well you kind of like I already kind of take note of how much or I was going to ask how much feedback do you get when you when you lead the whole album process yourself you've kind of already answered that so with this album when you're you know at home self-producing self-writing in particular with that song did you have anyone else really like listen to it or give you much feedback on it at the time yeah, that's funny you say that because like this was the song that everyone was just like really like had a lot to say about for some reason. <laughs> like my publishers really loved the verses and thought the chorus was a bit strange. And I was like, and then my label was like, we love the chorus. We think the verses are, and I was like, what the heck? And then I ended up just saying, <laughs> listen, everyone, like we're just going to put it out how it is. And that's the way it is, you know, not, not, not in like, a, you know, cause I love the people I work with. It's not yeah. that, but it was just sort of a moment of like, I think everyone was just excited and wanted to make sure it went the right way. And in the end of the day, I, yeah, I'm, I think it turned out just the way I wanted it to. So hopefully everyone else feels the same way, but yeah. Definitely. Like I think, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's a funny thing when you're dealing with the music business, just trying to keep, not be rude, but still let your art be art, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And not be like a 
sort of business proposition or something if that makes sense yeah yeah, (laughs) oh like it turns out brilliant and it's a great song so thanks the third song with you um which i'm already thinking it's kind of looking back at when we were younger and how we used to you know turn people into our like superheroes and then when we're older we realize that actually everyone is exactly the same we all make mistakes no one's perfect and and who were some of your superheroes would you say growing up or, or people that you kind of like idolize not say that they're you know not superheroes but when you're younger yeah yeah totally well I guess my parents like that's mm. kind of what my head was at with this one was like the fact that my parents I always felt safe with them I always felt like things were going to be okay and then I became a parent because I got two kids. And now I realized that my parents did not know that everything was going to be okay. They did not know if they're going to have enough cash to pay the mortgage or whatever, like these types of things that adults worry about. And I just thought it was really cool how I got to grow up not having to worry about those things. I felt really lucky. And that kind of informed that song quite a bit, that it was sort of almost like wanting to pass the torch of, leadership i guess and i feel like that is a really important part of people's lives that people can feel safe secure and and things are going to be okay because no matter what someone's going to love you and have your back Mm. no matter what you know rather than the alternative where you feel like you're on your own you know so that sort of with you sentiment is sort of like yeah like this sort of nurturing aspect of, of of life that i definitely don't take for granted now that i'm on the other end of it being the nurturer instead of, you know, the one that's, cause when you're, when you're young, you don't realize how, how much effort goes into that kind of, yeah you know, emotionally, not just, you know, financially or, you know, physically, but emotionally it's a lot as well. So it was really, really, yeah. It was like kind of almost like a little note to self kind of mm-hmm. song. Yeah. So. so cool. How much has being a father, would you say influence your songwriting? I'd say a lot. Like, I feel like I write more sort of in a more, I don't know, like it's still introspective in the way that I sort of write in a first person a lot of the time, but it's more along the lines of appreciation or like a different outlook rather than a sort of, I have a problem that needs to be solved kind of thing more like, you know, Mm a little less of um, yes or no answer kind of writing, if that makes sense. It's hard to explain, but like a heartbreak song, I'll still write those occasionally, but for the most part, I kind of like feel like sometimes I get more out of sort of more of like a a wisdom approach, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's weird. Maybe it's just where I'm at in my life, but yeah, I kind of value, and I value those songs when I listen to them. I'm always like, oh, this is really good for me. This is like a nourishment song something from the great songwriters I listen to. So, yeah. What was the production side like of things on with you? Because, well, I definitely kind of had like a piano at the beginning and then guitar and then like driving beat. It seems to really be like layers on layers with this song. How is it like to produce it? Yeah, it was really, that was a fun one to produce. It felt like everything just worked. I was like, oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the guitar riff was definitely the thing and the piano riff as well, how they kind of play with each other. They kind of dance with each other a bit. And they kind of need each other for for the song to feel like it has all the right sort of harmonic content. And then the vocal needed to be quite present and also 
like and he needed to be the right performance so this one was a bit of a pain trying to get the right performance because <laughs> it needed to have a tender vulnerability and not sound overworked but also needed to be quite accurate and strong so mm. that's always an annoying task because you don't want it to sound overly cooked and overproduced so often I would sing this song and then I would just sing it twice and then walk away from it. And then I'd come back and then sing it twice. And and I would never just sit down and do takes over and over again. Cause I would lose the, like, I think I did it once and I did like eight takes of a verse or something that I was like, this is just sounding like I'm singing words, not what I mean, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel like that's for me as a strategy, I needed to do that for this song particularly. Well, obviously, talking of of great guitars, the next song, Disappearing Light, um, I love the guitar instruction to that. When you write songs, uh, do you find that you normally write with the guitar or does the lyrics tend to come completely on their own without the melody? Um, And and in particular with Disappearing Light. Yeah, that one, it's it's almost like jamming. That's how I write a lot. Like my voice jams with the guitar and I sing and hum melodies and then maybe a word pokes out. And then I'm like, ooh, I like that word. I'm like, what does that mean? And that's like a lot, lot of subconscious stuff when you're just kind of humming and singing any word that comes to mind. And I feel like that's almost like a meditative process because you're unveiling like little words or sentiments about things that you maybe don't even know you're thinking about in in like day to day, you know, when you're dealing with whatever it is. And then when it comes out, it's almost like you got to catch the lightning in the bottle. So soon as that little clue is unveiled of the song you're like okay disappearing light what's what's that and then you kind of go deeper and you're like okay this is about you know trying to get through or trying to not have it disappear you know like you kind of just ask these questions and then one thing leads to another and then you have a story and then you can write your song you know that's kind Mm -hmm. of the best investigative songwriting that i that i try to do that's kind of what that song was like that too it kind of came out like that. I don't know. I think I kind of went a yeah. bit crazy with that answer, but. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I love the line um, at the end of the day, do you want to be living this way? And questions seem to play, or I've noticed a lot of the questions within your lyrics and you know, like drugstore houses, you ask a lot of questions within the lyrics. Um, is that something that you consciously do as a, a songwriter or do you just seem to not notice that so much? I like doing that. I think I, I think it's pretty conscious. Like I try not to overthink things too much because sometimes yeah. it kind of ruins it a bit. Like as far as like getting too literal, like being too obsessive about like what something means. If it just feels good, I go for it usually. But yeah, I love questions because I feel like we ask ourselves questions all day, every day, self-doubt questions, whatever it is. And I think that that just is like a real maybe it's just how I think too. It's yeah. in my little brain of mine, I think about things a lot and I ask myself questions and I sort of contemplate why I'm, my intentions are such and such, you know, that kind of thing. So that's definitely probably a, a lot of it, sort of like my little subconscious kind of asking questions <laughs> yeah and the lyrics are just so beautiful who is some of your favorite lyricists would you say or people that you've looked up to oh man i love um oh there's heaps hey like i love i know this guy is not cool anymore and no one likes him because he's a dirtbag but i did used to really like ryan adams's lyrics oh, and right. writing yeah 
that whole thing. It's, it's kind of funny. Like I find it almost hard to listen to his music now. Cause I just mm. represent such a not nice person. It's kind of hard to deal with. Obviously I'd like out of new artists though, like Phoebe Bridgers is always doing interesting stuff with her lyrics. You know, I think a lot of people could say that, um, you know, even some pop writers are doing some great stuff with lyrics. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head of some stuff that's really clever. Um, I'm just trying to think of, artists i always like damien rice and artists like that of you know course. more classic writers the songwriter those kind of writers you know and then all obviously the old sort of 60s the Joni mitchells the leonard Cohen's, like the classics the bob dylan's like those ones are always just i feel like that's like staple food for songwriters like you can go back to those and you're always going to get something out of it you know kind of like the holy text <laughs> yeah so yeah i guess you could say that because that's a very typical answer but yeah there's some great new songwriters you know bright eyes those kinds of artists that are really taking lyrics to new places you know father john misty's another great one. Oh yeah he yeah. almost he borderlines on being a stand-up comedian to sad music i think that's it's the way he way putting it yeah yeah that's how he gets away with it <laughs> everything's a, a, a joke with a punchline is yeah. how he writes his lyrics, you know, so in a sad way. It's interesting. And Lana Del Rey is beautiful too. Mm. Yeah. She does the great list stuff goes too. On. So yeah. So I could go on for ages ah, about that. No, there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> I'm talking of writing. So the fifth song on the album, the wonderful one and only, which I've got that you co-wrote that in LA with a friend. I don't know if I'm saying this right. Gian Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an interesting one because he writes with like Justin Bieber and like all wow. these kind of big pop artists. Like, yeah, he's a dude. Like he he wrote um the girls like you single with Maroon Five and stuff. And oh wow. It, yeah, really strange. Like, and I don't know how I ended up in the room with him. And he's such a nice guy. He's like the coolest guy ever from New York originally. And just had this really great all-American attitude, like, you know, very positive and it was just a really great session. I remember. And, um, and he felt really good cause he got to write something a little more, um, relaxed. Like we weren't trying to pump out like some crazy hits, but I think you can definitely hear some of his pop kind of muscles working in the song. Like he kind of what we went for a bit more of a catchier kind of melody, almost like kind of reminiscent of like a John Mayer meets Amos Lee, Ray LaMontagne thing or something, Ooh, you yeah. know? <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking when I when, when that song was unveiling itself. I was like, oh yeah, this kind of feels like along those lines to me. And yeah, and but yeah, needless to say, I was pretty excited. But the funny thing is, is this song sat on the shelf for about a year and a half, no, almost two years. And because I just didn't have the right group of songs to put it with. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like this one was finally good because it was kind of a roots record and had the right types of things which is funny because you write with the beaver guy and you, you end up writing like a folky song it's kind of funny but because you can write any song with anyone it doesn't really matter but yeah yeah was it just a, a yeah. day that you were working with each other was it over a longer period of time yeah it was just literally one day like wow. we sat down for probably three or four hours maybe and just banged out a song on the iphone memos and then wrote it down in like google docs and then i went home and then just kind of built up the song and then just kind of waited to release it for the right time. And yeah. Cool. And then it was done. Yeah. It was pretty cool. It was a good experience. I saw a great thing on Instagram that, uh, so the song was played on Grey's Anatomy and then you uh, kind of yeah. showed your, yourself and your um, very cute dogs 
reactions. <laughs> What's it like yeah, when you yeah, find yeah. out that, you know, your music is, I know it's happened before in, in films and stuff like that. Yeah. How was it? Did you know in advance that it was coming on? Do they have to ask you and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They okay. ask and like, they, they, you know, you have to, they have to get permission, permission and of you course. have to do this thing and, you know, they obviously pay you, which is nice, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, but it was funny. Like every time my music gets synced on a movie or TV show or whatever, I always feel like it always looks wrong to me every time. Like, I'm always like, this doesn't make sense. What are they really? using this song for? Like, that's how it always feels. It never is like, oh yeah, pick the perfect song. I'm always like, why? The, what? This doesn't work at all. <laughs> that's how I honestly feel every time. And because I, I, maybe because I know the song and I did it, I'm like, it's almost like I'm standing in the background of this movie scene. I'm like, why am I there? I shouldn't be there. Wow. You know what I mean? That's just how I, I see it. But I also love it. Like, and I, I'm super appreciative of it. Yeah, maybe it's just like the Japanese anti sort of wanting to be sort of seenness in me or something. I don't know. But it, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of a weird experience. But I do definitely trip out for sure. Yeah, it's so really cool. cool. Does your dog normally critique your music? Is he normal? Or is it he? She? He loves guitar. My dog really? loves guitar. Yeah, he's obsessed. Like, if I play guitar, he'll just come and sit right in front of me every time. Like he could be like outside. He'll just come in and play guitar. But yeah, he hates harmonica. A lot. <laughs> right. He hates harmonica. He's not a fan. Doesn't like electric guitar. Hates saxophone. But he loves um, banjo, guitar. He likes my singing too, which is good because I do it a lot. So good for him. Um, so that's he's like my friend when I'm if I'm sitting at home alone and writing songs and kind of just talking to myself or whether he's just kind of sitting there being my buddy. No, oh, so cute. And it provides great material for Instagram as well. So <laughs> thank goodness for that. <laughs> We're all good. So the sixth song on the album, The Wonderful Secrets, which seems like a really personal song and kind of like discussing the risk of, of keeping your troubles to yourself. And how is it writing yeah. this one? Because it is, it feels a really personal song. Yeah, it's kind of like almost sort of like a, asking for help or wondering what's going through someone's mind when they're going through something, you know, like, and I feel like this sort of, it's almost like a helplessness that, that, you know, cause I, I had, I've had some bad experiences with friends and mental health in the past. And I guess it's still pretty relevant in my mind a lot of the time I've written a few songs about it and it's cause it was a big event in my life, I guess, when I had a friend pass like a few years ago from like mental illness. And it was just a thing that shook me like to my core. And, uh, and I kind of, it's almost like a, a way of uh, grieving, I guess. Maybe I write these songs and mm. kind of go into these depths of like, cause you know, you always ask yourself, why would someone do that? And that's sort of, I think I get through that by writing songs about things and in that nature. And that was sort of, that narrative was attached to the song a bit, but I didn't want to make the lyrics so specific to that incident that, you know, that it would remind someone of that, but I wanted it to be kind of like, 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 you, you know, you can trust someone to not have to keep secrets to yourself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that's sort of where that song's where my head was at when I was writing and singing that song if that makes sense yeah and it's so wonderful that you've provided people with a, a space to listen to that to that song and like you said not have any kind of 
constraints or restraints on it. And I saw that the single artwork, the photo taken, was it by your daughter, Lila? Yeah, actually, my daughter did most, I think almost every single artwork. She does, she's seven. She takes it on the iPhone and she takes a picture and like shakes her hand. So it gets all blurry and cool. And like, I don't know, she's just been doing it. And I just love them, so I use them. <laughs> That's so cool. Is it's she weird, like, eh? Is she um? Is she looking like she wants to be musical? Is she kind of showing any interest in playing instruments or anything? Yeah, she's really curious. She's a curious person, so I think that will um, turn into some sort of art form or something that she likes to create things. So, and she just loves to just sort of see how things work, and she's one of those kinds of people that's very interested in things so i think whatever she wants to do i just hope that she loves doing it that's the big thing for me you know yeah. she likes music this music's been great to me so if she wants to check that out i would definitely yeah give her a commitment of doing it so does she come and watch you much when you go on the road and things like that yeah occasionally like you know they're doing school and stuff and you know um but yeah they like watching me play they saw me play um was it just a little while ago we, I was playing, it was sort of during COVID and my friend needed to raise money to buy Christmas presents for his kids, which was intense because he didn't have any work. So we put on this little show and they came to that and it was really cool. So oh. that was um, a cool little, that was the last time they saw me play. But they've seen me play like different festivals and bigger kind of venues and stuff. And they they're, they're, they they think it's pretty cool yeah. like seeing how big the stages are and stuff. But I guess for them, it's... a I guess it's whatever you see a lot of. It's kind of a bit normal. So now they're kind of not, they kind of think it's just okay. <laughs> it's nice yeah. you get these like personal touches on the album and, you know, to have things like that interwoven within the songs and the artwork. It's, it's really nice as well. Oh, cool. So, number seven, Rearview Mirror, um, which I've read that you kind of talked about how we can like almost live hiding from who we are how did writing this song take shape i think it was like a lot of discussions with like certain friends and i would get different perspectives and like i have a lot of musician friends that are kind of whoa quote-unquote like living out their sort of dreams or whatever you want to call it and then i have other friends that are a lot more practical and living more of a practical life and I did speak to a couple friends that felt like they were just kind of stuck. And then I felt like it was a nice sort of topic to kind of investigate a little bit, just seeing how, you know, like that to not be kind of afraid to try and, I don't know, like see yourself as anyone, not just the one person you are, if that makes sense. A friend of mine told me this actually quote that sticks in my head is, He's a producer around town. He said, he said, be careful of the stories you tell yourself for they will come true in a sense of like, if you say that I'm bad at math every day to yourself, you will be bad at math. Yeah. To, yeah if yeah. that makes sense. It sounds so obvious and dumb, but I think we do that a lot. You just say, oh, I'm always late. So I'm late now. So then you'll be late. And then you're always late because you tell yourself you're going to be late. But if you tell yourself, I'm not really that late anymore. I don't, I'm not going to be late. Then you probably won't. So I think it's really uh, interesting. So maybe that was simply, maybe that was a bit of the premise for that one. That was one of the early ones I wrote. So 
forgive me, my memory's a little foggy on that one sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and obviously we kind of mentioned that you started the masterclass um, course about songwriting and production. Um, yeah. Within this album, were there any moments like particular favorite moments within the songwriting and production side of things, or maybe specifically with Rearview Mirror, if you particularly preferred doing the songwriting or the production, or if that if that's you can't choose your favorite, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think I liked doing the the production on that one was pretty fun. It was just really crazy. I, I pictured it as like a landscape painting, if that makes sense. Mm. So I feel like I was painting mountains with the music, like very pretty kind of lakes and trees and that kind of thing. That's kind of what my brain was thinking when I was writing um, sort of the the backdrop, I guess, when I was doing all the production. So, because I think of those things when I'm doing production, I think of like, what is this? Like a, you know, like like if Secrets is sort of more like a, a drama and River oh, wow. is more like a landscape painting you know so yeah so for me that was really nice because i just got to make it as beautiful and natural as i could and then lyrically too um yeah that one was fun to write actually that one felt came pretty natural as well for some reason my memory just doesn't really recall the writing process of that one as much for some reason strange but um production was fun on that one The eighth song on the album, The Brilliant Grand Optimist, obviously we've spoken about it being the oldest song in the collection and the original demo mm. kind of recorded like six years ago and I'm right in thinking you kind of found it on an old hard drive and kind of yeah. already sort of answered this, but did it feel straight away as soon as you heard it that you definitely wanted it on this album? And when did you actually hear it and you know what was the process from six years ago to now? Yeah, it was weird. I was looking for, because I work with other artists, like I do some production for them. So I was looking for an old song for an artist because they needed some instrumentals. And then I saw this folder. I was like, oh, what's this? And I just opened it up, just curious. And then I opened up the session and heard this banjo riff. And I was like, this thing is amazing. Why didn't I work on this? And then I kind of investigated some more. And I was like, okay, well, these lyrics, like some of them are still relevant to me, but some of them are definitely aren't. And then I kind of delved into sort of where I was at now. And then, so I used some of the lyrics still, but then I rewrote a lot of the verse lyrics and I, I kind of wrote it about like my dad essentially and how he was always this very optimistic person and always kind of looked for the best things out of a situation. And then I always love this Taoism quote where they say like, what is good? So for example, um, like the boy breaks his leg and everyone's so sad and like, oh man, it's so sad that your son broke his leg. And then the next week the army comes and says, all the boys are going to war. Oh, your son can't go. He broke his leg. So the father gets to keep his son from going to war because he broke his leg. So it's like breaking his leg is the best thing could have happened for him. So those kinds of, that kind of sort of Eastern optimism, because my dad's Japanese was sort of something I was reflecting on. And I was like, I think I'm lucky that I got to experience a bit of that growing up because I'm not sure if all cultures kind of have this similar outlook, if that makes sense. So I kind of used that as sort of a, sort of an idea. And then it kind of veered off a little bit, but there's sort of, it's more or less about like learning lessons in life, if that makes sense. Sort of like, because a lot of my beliefs as like a, I'm not like a Buddhist or anything like that, but I love the reincarnation stories and things and how you're supposed to learn a lesson in this lifetime. So that is always a little present in the back of my mind. I think it kind of was 
leaking out a bit in this song. <laughs> Did your parents, have they really influenced you musically? Were they have a lot of music on when you were younger? Yeah, yeah. Heaps of Neil Young, heaps of Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Beatles, like basically just oh. gave me all the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were pretty good. My mom particularly had pretty good taste in, in music, like a lot of, you know, like I love the acoustic guitar of America. That band was super cool. And like, there's just a lot of really great stuff that a lot of folk records, because my mom loved folk music. So it kind of, yeah, that really helped out a lot. And my dad was just sort of similar to my mom, like just loved 60s, 70s stuff, you know? So it was, yeah, pretty lucky. I love that you said you played the banjo on this one. Um, are there any other instruments in particular that you still want to get to grips with? Because it seems like you have a real variety of musical instruments that you play. Obviously, you mentioned the harmonica as well, um, mm. which to your dog's dismay. Uh, yeah, any <laughs> like particular instruments that you're still trying to get to grips with? No, all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like I can improve in all of them, really. Like, I, I've one I'd like to master a bit more would be piano, just being a bit more competent on there. I feel like guitar, I'm quite like, you know, I feel really good. I feel at home when I'm writing on guitar. Piano, I'm feeling pretty good. But, um, you know, I love playing bass too. Bass is really fun. It's very, uh, um, bass is very um, finicky. It's like a, It's like a very complex, simple instrument. It's hard to explain, but everyone thinks it's probably the easier one. I'm like, no, I think it's very more complex because it's like, instead of playing a shaker, you're playing like a kick drum pattern and like a, you're going with the vote. It's very interesting. So um, yeah, I think piano um, an electric guitar would be good to brush up on some skills there too. Cause that's a fun instrument. It's like driving fast in a sports car, you know, Mm -hmm. if the uh, acoustic guitar is like, you know, your camper wagon, you know, you can't just trot (laughs) along on that thing, but you know, you're not going too fast on the acoustic guitar. Did you learn the guitar first? Yeah, that was the first thing I actually learned. Like I played in like, um, sort of like new metal bands growing Mm -hmm. up, like Deftones kind of bands and like kind of (laughs) tool and like that kind of stuff that's really cringe now, but I loved it. (laughs) I still love it. I don't care. And like, yeah, so like we were loving like that kind of stuff, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, all that classic kind of stuff. But like, so I kind of grew up playing electric guitar and like power chords and like drop D and all that kind of stuff. And then I kind of graduated to more like, cause I think my personality is too mellow for that genre of music. I just don't have the intensity. So I found myself socially uncomfortable all through <laughs> high school because of that. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got to try that. Well, talking of old classics, well, the last song on the album, obviously a stripped back cover time of time after time, just an eighties classic gem. Um, yeah. I think thinking it was, um, was it both your daughters that loved this song and then kind of got you covering it? Yeah. It was just one. Miko. Just one. Okay. Yeah. My youngest. And she loved it. And she said, we, I think she heard it on sing maybe or somewhere. And oh. she said, daddy, can you sing that song? And I was like, I probably can. And she's like, Oh, figure it out. And I was like, okay. So I figured it out like in some open D I think open D was the closest guitar. And I just kind of, figured out the changes you know whatever the patterns were the four five one or whatever it is and like basically just figured out the lyrics and sang it to her whenever she wanted and i turned into like a jukebox basically whenever she wanted to hear it to get me to sing it and then i kind of was singing the song and you know when you sing or listen to a song you don't actually listen to the words that much 
And then I actually took some time to like look at the lyrics, listen to the words. And I was like, oh my God, this song is insane. It's such a well-written song. It blew my mind. I was like, but I thought it was packaged in this very like shiny eighties sort of, it's almost like this beautiful song that could be taken very seriously was put in like a tutu and like a glitter gown or something, which is so awesome because I love the original as well. But I thought, you know, people could maybe see this song in another way. That's more like, like a, like a beautiful song, like a sort of pretty introspective song. So I kind of thought like, Oh, I'm just going to try it out and see what happens. So anyways, that was sort of the idea behind that a little bit. Yeah. So good. And it, you know, it's a good cover song when you start listening to it and then you're like, hang on, do I know this song? And then suddenly you're like, Oh my God, yeah, I do know this song. It's Sydney Lufa. And then it's just, yeah, it's, I always find it fascinating as well when it's a guy doing a girl song or, or vice versa. And um, yeah, it's such a great cover song. Any other Cindy Lauper songs we can expect or any other um, <laughs> any other songs that your sister's got you covering that you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe uh, I'm singing this right now. Actually on, on my daughter. TikTok and my Instagram, I did like a mellow version of French, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's so, it's so stupid, but um, <laughs> I was <laughs> so just cool. like, sometimes when I'm like humming a melody and I can't think of the words to sing, like I don't have any words. I'll just sing the intro of Fresh Prince Bel Air just to remember the melody. And that, like those lyrics are like just filler for me. And then I was listening to it and I was singing it. I sang this melody. I was like, oh, this sounds too much like Fresh Prince Bel Air. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just like pretend like I'm singing it. And then I was like, that sounds kind of good. Yeah. Really and then good. I decided, I was, I was like, oh, I'll just put a little thing up on TikTok. Who cares? You know? So it seemed like some people thought it was hilarious. So it was good. Yeah, just such a great way to finish off the album. And like I said, just su- such a wonderful album. And so I've finished with a couple of like little games. So some like quick fire sure. questions, so to speak. Um, some we've covered. Which song came together the quickest off the album and which took the longest? Telephone was the quickest. Longest was maybe Secrets, I think, because the mix took a long time for some reason. Um, favorite song? You said tele- Telephone. Did you say that? Telephone, yeah, telephone or disappearing light. Those are kind of tied mm-hmm. for me a little bit. Do you have a favorite lyric or a song with particular lyrics that really stand out? Oh, um, it's kind of maybe cheesy, but I like it a lot. The lyric, um, it's uh, do I live afraid to be born alive? Meaning, like, am I afraid to be who I am? Great, lyric. yeah, I like that one, yeah. And which are you most looking forward to playing live? Have you managed to play many of these songs live at all? Yeah, actually, I played with you for the first time live at a festival on the weekend. It was really scary. Oh, oh great. Sorry, oh, sorry, I dropped you. That's all right. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, I, uh, sorry about that. Um, uh, yeah, it was scary to play that one because it just, you know, when you play for an audience, you just don't know how it's going to go. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing. I really want to play some like nice, pretty venues and just kind of get a real listening kind of crowd happening with like for Telephone and a few other ones where it's like you can kind of close your eyes and get swept away into this new world. That's really what I'm hoping to do with this next tour and this kind of next cycle of sort of, you know, shows. So that's Great. kind of what I'm thinking. Great. Yeah. Well, before we talk about future stuff, I, I do this thing called What's the Occasion? And I give three different occasions and you've got to choose three different songs off the album, which if you had to play at that occasion, which would it be? So you've got a wedding. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Yep. A dinner party, so friends round, maybe like a talking piece, um, and a car road trip. So you've got wedding first. It could be first dance or 
Mm, I think one and only for sure. Oh, yeah. That's just so like, it's just so like, yeah, it's got that vibe. Great <laughs> shout. Dinner party. Oh, that's a tough one. Maybe not too serious. Probably, um, oh, geez, that's a tough one. Dinner party. Maybe even the time after time cover. I was just thinking funny. that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of like something, a talking piece. Everyone knows the song. They probably just, you know, I think that's a nice one. Yeah. I think and then a road trip, maybe telephone, even though it's kind of intense, but it kind of has that road trippy feel to me. Great. Wow. Yeah. Very instinct, those ones. Sometimes the artists take ages to think of them. Sometimes it's like instinct. You're an instinct. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. Okay, there you go. I'm on fire. <laughs> <laughs> on fire. Um, so yeah, like you said, future. What have you got coming up? Tours. Are you coming over to the UK at all? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I was going to, and I had like some sort of funny health things come up. Not nothing serious. Don't worry. It's okay. not like I'm dying or something. But yeah, just some things that just I needed to check out before I went. I was going to go over with Pierce Brothers actually and play those yeah. shows. Um, I really wanted to, but um, yeah, because I really want to get back to Europe. I just love the UK and Europe. I just love where you guys are. It's such a nice place. So I'm hoping I can get there next year at some point and do some, you know, even just some smaller acoustic shows would just be amazing to do. So that's definitely um, on my mind. I have the Australian tour coming up and I got a few festival things coming up. Then I'm going to North America for a bit just for basically see some family and do some writing and do some sort of just music industry garbage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, I'm looking forward to like kind of getting out in the world a bit more now. I think like most artists are now, like we're all kind of creeping out and the world's opened up. So it's, it's really good. Yeah. All right. Well, fingers crossed. We'll get to see you here in the UK, maybe 2023, maybe fingers crossed. Yeah. I hope so. I really hope so. I, yeah. fingers crossed well thank you so much i really appreciate you taking the time uh such a wonderful album so so huge congrats and you've put it out then i can just enjoy it and know that it's amazing and that everyone loves it so oh thank you so much thanks for having me i appreciate it thanks so much for listening to this episode of lp uncovered if you like this one you can go back and listen to all my previous episodes featuring lots of wonderful musicians just head along to wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and subscribe away Likewise, you can follow LP Uncovered on Instagram to keep up to date with upcoming episodes. <laughs>